Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Was 2019 an historically bad year for relief pitchers? First of all, is it ahistorically or anhistorically? I've seen both. But A. Yeah, I don't know. Chris, can you... I strongly believe A. <laughs> Chris, I don't know. What do you think? Can you break the tie? Um, It was ahistorical. See, the problem with ahistorical season is ahistorical is a word. And so you run the risk of misleading people by saying that 2019 was an ahistorical season. We, we don't do that with any other words like that, though. So, we don't say antypical. I, okay, well, whatever. Was 2019 an unusually bad year? How about that? For relief pitchers it may have been josh Hader had the lowest fantasy point total of any number one rp in the entire decade and he had the fewest saves of any number one closer in the entire decade kirby yates led baseball in saves on a last place team that is wild he had 41 saves that's the lowest save total for the mlb leader this century since 2000 i don't even know how far back before that we'd have to go to find someone who led baseball with 41 or fewer saves things were different the old guard might be, you know, might be leaving. Craig Kimbrell, Kenley Jansen, they didn't have such great years, especially Kimbrell. You know, Chapman getting a little worse, but still very good. It's a different landscape now for sure. Obviously, Edwin Diaz and Blake Trina were huge busts. So welcome to the 2020 relief pitcher preview. Scott White, just give me an overall reliever strategy. We're going to talk about strategies in specific formats. But if someone said to you, hey, Scott, sum up relief pitcher in a few sentences, what would you say? I would say it's murkier than usual, but given given that volatility just kind of comes with the territory here and we always see half to a third of the league's closer roles turnover, the fact that it's murkier now, I think almost it 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 keeps you from having this false sense of security. So I'm not actually approaching it any differently than I usually approach it. I I don't want to spend much there because I mostly just care about saves. And I think there are, um, there are, there are saves that can be found up and down the rankings, obviously, until you get outside the top 30 or so. Chris, how about you? How would you sum up relief pitcher? One, I've got an answer to your question. Okay. The last time a league leader in saves had few, 41 or fewer was 1994, obviously. Adam, oh. use your brain. <laughs> okay, Before yeah. that, in yeah. a non-strike shortened season, it's 1985 wow. when Jeff Reardon of the Montreal Expos had 41 saves and Dan Quisenberry led the AL with 37. That's amazing. 1985 was the last yep. time someone had as few saves as 
as Kirby Yates to lead to lead baseball. That's amazing. Yeah, and uh, I am probably more likely this year to draft what I view as some of the elite closers than ever because they're going much later. Relievers are just going later across the board uh, this year. But, you know, I've drafted Edwin Diaz and Craig Kimbrell a ton because I mostly believe that they'll be elite this season. I think what went wrong for them in 2019, you know, in, in Kimbrell's case, I think it was just he didn't get a spring training. He made four relief appearances or rehab appearances and then was thrown into the middle of the season. And that's just, that's not going to work for most people. I know it worked for Dallas Keuchel, but it's it's a really tough thing to ask someone to do. And Edwin Diaz, he couldn't, hit his slider wasn't right, but like there was a lot that went right for him. He still had an elite swing strike rate, elite strikeout rate. So I actually am more likely to be one of the first people to take a closer this year than pretty much any year. Right, because you can do it later. Edwin Diaz currently going 124th overall, according to Fantasy Pros. The column all the way on the right, if you heard no, last he is, night's he show. Is the, uh, Scott, like, that doesn't matter. According let's not to get, ADP, let's not get according to ADP, he is the 117th player off the board. And according to ADP, he is going 124th overall. That's what I said. That's a true statement. He, there are only 116 players that have a higher ADP than Edwin Diaz. Either way, it's round 10 in a 12-team league. Craig Kimbrell is going... About 20 picks later. So these are round 10, round 11, round 12 type of picks right now in a 12-team league. Kimbrell, I was thinking about this before the show because obviously these are two guys that you can take. Round 10 for a player with elite potential is not is not early. I mean, that's, that's a great value if you get great Diaz or great Kimbrell. But Kimbrell was bad in the second half of 2018, was horrible in the postseason, could not get a contract offer. I mean, that's what really stands out to me. And but, and then he was terrible with the Cubs. And I know he's not that bad. He, he was he was like worst pitcher ever with the Cubs. But I can't believe nobody wanted him. That's really what what shocked me. And it was, ju- it was justified in the way he pitched. Do any? What was the last big contract that a reliever signed in free agency? He couldn't get any contract. True, but he Will, had Will Smith had one this offseason. A role this Chapman just got a contract extension. But it wasn't. But it wasn't Craig Kimbrell. But a Chapman just Will got Smith, a big contract. Sure, but Will Smith didn't have draft pick compensation attached to him. Like Craig Kimbrell basically signed immediately after June first. So we can't pretend that it was like nobody wanted Craig Kimbrell. It was one hundred percent directly no, not tied 100%, to the draft pick compensation. Not a hundred. I don't. I don't believe yes, that's 100%. true. Yes, one hundred percent. Because nobody was willing. Nobody was willing to pay the price Kimbrell thought he deserves. Which is still revealing. I mean, it's not as revealing as it, it obviously doesn't carry the same weight as nobody wanted Kimbrel, but nobody thought Kimbrel was worth what Kimbrel himself thought he was worth, which I, I, means the league doesn't have faith in Kimbrel still being Kimbrel. Still being Kimbrel. Yeah. And, and I, what I was going to say is I wish Edwin Diaz pitched for the Cubs. Because they don't have Strope anymore. They don't have Ciszek. I don't know that they have great competition. Rowan Wick was good last year, I guess, 243 RA. They have Jeremy Jeffress. So I like that about Kimbrell. What I hate about Diaz is you've got Familia, who's got experience. You've got Lugo, who was one of the best relievers in baseball. Seth Lugo, yeah. yeah that, you, that would be the guy. You've got Patan- I, Well, I don't know that he would be the guy because I don't know that they want to limit him to one inning. But you've got at least three guys in that very good bullpen, potentially, 
that could fill in, whereas I think Kimbrell has less competition. So those are two really interesting players that could swing what closer looks like this year, and they're in different situations. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not so concerned about Edwin. Like, if Edwin Diaz loses his job, it's because he wasn't good, and then it was just a bad pick anyway. It doesn't really matter. But you want a little leash. You want a guy to be able to struggle and keep the job, right? Because I think he's can, probably got closers can struggle. That happens, you know. If it happens early sure, in the I, season, it's a problem. I, I, the thing I worry about with Edwin Diaz, and it was something that a lot of pitchers were talking about last year. We mostly focused on, uh, you know, with the lower with with the seams being lower on the baseball, the drag effect, and how it made home runs more frequent. But it, it really impacted the grip of a lot of pitchers. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, I think it was, said the balls. It was like holding an ice cube. And you, you saw a lot of ace caliber pitchers just really get crushed in April as they were trying to compensate for the new feel of the ball. And there's been a theory going around that it, it really messed up Edwin Diaz's slider. Now, the whiff rate on the slider was still fantastic. The overall whiff rate was still great. But it I don't know if it resulted in more hangers or something, because obviously the home run rate was through the roof. And, you know, then we get into the discussion, is the ball going to be different? Is it going to be the same? Which we test have no way of accounting for. And if it is the same, is he going to figure out a way to get more consistency out of that make or break pitch for him? So that's that's what I think it mostly comes down to for Diaz. But at the going rate, I don't think there's really much downside to taking him. Right, right. Okay, so we'll get into ADP. We'll talk about everybody. Sleepers, breakouts, busts. Uh, I think a good exercise for right now for February 12th is just really, really quickly go through every team and see who has a set closer and who it is and who doesn't have a set closer. So we'll start in the AL East. Uh, Baltimore, set closer? No. Yeah, it, Michael Givens would be the first guy drafted there, but no, no set closer. Uh, yeah, Toronto, never the set closer last year. Toronto, Ken Giles, right? Yep. Boston. Brandon Workman uh, was the guy down the stretch last year, and I, I don't know if he ever was officially anointed, and I haven't heard much about him this offseason, but I'm, I'm proceeding as if he's the guy now. What I was reading is competition, you know, that word in quotes, he's the front runner. So yeah. Brandon Workman there. Tampa Bay, we just talked about this. Could be there's Ms. no There's no close. Mr. Right. Anderson, could be Nick Anderson, could be Diego Castillo, Jose yeah. Alvarado. He's their best reliever, Anderson, and they just traded their second best reliever, so the gap between him and everyone else is widened. Okay. I, I'm i old enough to remember when Jose Alvarado was their best reliever, you know? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. the Yankees Which was like Chapman. 40 innings ago. The Yankees have Chapman, and I'm going to make a list of definitely's and probably's. Yankees are a definitely, Toronto is a definitely, Boston is a probably. Minnesota, can we call them a definitely with Taylor Rodgers? No, I would say probably. Okay. Sergio Romo was uh, pilfering some saves as matchups warranted before he. I think he got hurt late in the year, but after right after they acquired him from the Marlins, he was stealing some saves. Cleveland Brad Hand. Yep. Uh, I know he was he bad. Was, late. He was really he was hurt last year, and there's been a lot of Emmanuel Clases was acquired to be the closer of the future. So I'm not. It's it's firmer than like Rogers, but I'm I, I still think there's some doubt there. I'm I'm gonna put him in the definitely. What should I put okay, him in definitely? All right, I'm gonna put him definitely. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, White Sox with Colome. Yes. Okay. Royals with Kennedy. I don't <sighs> see who else it'd be. Yeah. 
Okay, that's five definitely. White uh Detroit with Jimenez. I think that's probably close to a definitely. Okay. Yeah. Houston, yeah, that's a definite there. Yep. With Ozuna. Uh I gotta assume Hendricks in Oakland. Yep. Texas. Yeah. Texas is Leclerc, uh mm-hmm. is how Woodward's I think Woodward left open the possibility that's Leclerc might not be able to secure it, but he said that's who he wants in the role. I'm going to put him in the definitely. How about with the Angels? Okay. Hansel Robles? Oh, with Joe Madden coming in there, I think it's probably. I think it's pretty much up in the air. Okay, I'm going to put him um, in the probably. He would obviously be the front runner, Robles. All right, I don't even know if he deserves to be in probably. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And Seattle. Seattle's a mess. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know who. I think it's Matt McGill would be the front runner there, but that's that's like the number 30 of the closing options if you yes so six i'm looking at a note six pitchers recorded multiple saves for the mariners in 2019 only matt mcgill and eric swanson are still with the team yoshi hirano is on roster resource listed as the closer that doesn't mean it's true but they're definitely they're not getting a definitely or a probably so that's 12 of 15 al teams nine of them definitely three of them probably go to the national league atlanta i guess Melanson, I, that's what they've said. Yeah, yeah. I better put him in probably Scott, just because it's such a right, weird no. situation. No, that's he's anytime, anytime it isn't the best reliever, that's the closer. I mean, Will Smith is the best reliever in the Braves bullpen. Then you have to be prepared for a change to happen. But the stated closer at the time of the signing is Mark Melanson. How about Miami? Brandon Kinsler seems like the front runner there. What, what yeah, category? he just signed like two days ago, right? Is, is it, are yeah, we putting this recently. in definitely or probably? I don't think it's... I think it's less than a probably at this point because they also talked about Jose Arana uh, being used as a closer. Right, I'm not putting him anywhere then. Philadelphia. <laughs> Hector Neris. Neris. Yeah. Okay, front for sure. We'll put him at probably... For sure, the front runner. Mets, we're going to have to say Diaz, right? Definitely. We're, definitely Def- Diaz. Uh, Washington. Interesting situation there. Doolittle um, lost his job yeah. at the end of the year to Hudson, who they brought I back. I think probably I'd, I'd put Sean Doolittle in the probably column because Daniel Hudson was taking a lot of saves down the stretch, yeah. St. Louis is interesting. Giovanni Gallegos is basically why I hate relief pitcher, by the way. I, I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> who is this guy? Uh, yeah, Giovanni Gallegos. I. Come on, we had him on our team. We had him on Team Scam last Yank- year. Adam. Yankees on. legend Giovanni yeah. Gallegos. Adam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's how you got Luke Voigt. I know. Uh, Great trade that turned out to be. Well, for, for which both. team? For both teams, <laughs> right? Voigt and Gallegos. Yeah, yeah Gallegos is. Uh, he was in my sleepers column that I published yesterday on CBSSports.com/slash/fantasy/slash/baseball. Go check it out. And he looked like. Like a Robert o- Roberto Ozuna level closer. Uh, defi- Not definitely, quite like, definitely or probably. We'll get into that. I don't that. think he's, yeah, I would say probably. Probably. But. Okay. Um, Pittsburgh. I think it's definitely um, Keone Kella. Kella. Yeah. Keone Kella, yeah. Cubs, yes, definitely Kimbrel. Yeah. Brewers. Hater. <laughs> I think it's got to be, yeah. Yeah. Reds. I should hope so because he's our number one reliever. Reds. Uh, I think it's definitely, definitely Rysel Iglesias. Yeah. Yeah. He pitched a lot in non-save situations. He's definitely 
I would and say, he was awful. Yeah, awful. I hope they don't do that again, but he did. All right, uh, to the Dodgers, yes, definitely going yep. to start with Jansen. We'll see. We'll see if he can keep it. Arizona. I believe Archie Bradley is a definitely. And I like that, finally, right? You know, uh, San Francisco, they are... I'm not putting them in either category, am I? San Fran? Yeah, no. I, maybe I spoke too soon saying Seattle was number 30. Hmm. <laughs> I can't think of... Can't even think of a name for the Giants. Tony, like Watson. Tony Watson or Sean Anderson. Yeah, those are the two so, guys getting drafted. Yeah. Uh, Colorado. They said Wade Davis. I'm going to make that a probably since we don't think he's very good and Oberg could take him over. And San Diego is definitely Kirby Yates. So out of thir- out of 30 spots, I've got 18 definitelys. That should tell you a lot about the closer situation. And now you've been caught up on what's going on. And the thing to keep in mind is half of those definitely will not be the closer all season. At least. <laughs> it's a crazy like, position. Like a hundred percent. That's that's the rate. It's a crazy position and, and if we just can have a, a broad conversation about this. You know, last year I had a league where I drafted Edwin Diaz and Blake Trinan, and they were the only two relievers. Yeah, I they killed it was one of the, it ruined my season, basically. Um and that was bad luck. You know, like for both of them to be that bad, that's bad luck. I drafted them thinking I usually draft three or four closers. I'm only gonna draft two. Be aggressive on the waiver wire, or whatever, and they'll carry me for a while. Didn't work. Um, I had another league, Roto League. I drafted Felipe Vasquez, Jordan Hicks, Kelvin Herrera, Andrew Miller, Ryan Brazier, and I knew I was weak going in. But I had I had Vasquez and Hicks, and then I was hoping somebody else would become my third. I ended up with only Vasquez by the end of the year. Picked up Hansel Robles, picked up Hector Neris, picked up Seth Lugo, who only had six saves. I finished third in the league in saves. And I focused on good pitchers. I focused on high-end relievers like Seth Lugo that were going to lower my whip and my ERA and maybe get some saves. I went away from what I had been doing. This was a season-long roto league with nine pitcher spots that you could divvy up however you wanted between starters and relievers. I went away from what I normally did. I'm not necess- I'm definitely not chasing saves on draft day, guys. Um, I know they're going to become available throughout the year. So I'm not punting saves. But whereas I, I could never do that league without drafting three established closers, that strategy is out the window. I, I, won't, I won't limit myself to that. There just aren't enough. Then you have to invest too early, I think, and, uh, and for that. You know, when, when you talk about Edwin Diaz and Blake Trinan specifically, I think those are two really, really, really good examples of what makes relief pitchers so hard. You say you want to... You want to target good pitchers, not just closers. But, you know, Edwin Diaz looked like the best closer in baseball in 2018. Blake Trinan might have actually been better than Edwin Diaz in 2018, and both were miserable in 2019. And the big thing with that was Trinan was thoroughly mediocre the year before, and Edwin Diaz had long stretches where he just didn't look right the year before. And we're dealing, like, the example I used uh, on Twitter the other day was Edwin Diaz allowed 15 home runs in 58 innings in 2019. Justin Verlander had a stretch in 2019. I think it was like May, June where he allowed 14 homers in 44 innings. Now the thing is Justin Verlander was able to pitch a lot more innings and pulled out of that. Edwin Diaz isn't going to give up two and a half home runs per nine innings. It's just never going to happen again. He's not that bad of a pitcher. I don't care which baseball we're using, whatever. Um, 
but that's what he did last year. And that's what we're going off. Just like the year before when Edwin Diaz was the clear cut number one closer, all we had to go on was really that 2018. So don't, I think you have to be really like you, you should embrace uncertainty at, in all things in fantasy, but especially at reliever, you should assume that what the guy did the year before, especially if it was an outlier for his career, you should assume that it may not happen again. Yeah. Like, like Liam Hendricks, maybe. And maybe he's really that good. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like if you, but if you assume that, if you assume that with Kirby Yates, you would have missed out on two great seasons. Well, one great season of Kirby Yates. Cause he actually did back it up. So I talked a little sure. bit about my strategy. I'm not going to draft day. Doesn't have to be your relief pitcher strategy. You know, you can use the waiver wire throughout the season. So, and it format changes everything. Scott, let's talk a little bit more about your strategies. Well, kind of talking about what Chris said, um, that's, that's kind of, that, that's always been kind of my reason for waiting at relief pitcher. And because those less established guys, they tend to go later. I know Blake Trinan was kind of an exception last year just because he was so incredibly dominant. But Kirby Yates, you could get him outside of the top 10 relievers last year, even though he showed signs of being this dominant closer. And so those are the ones I usually like to target, recognizing that there's so much volatility baked in. And we're coming off a stretch now of unprecedented uh an unprecedented stretch for three relievers in particular who are so consistently at the top of this ever so volatile position. And that's uh, Craig Kimbrell, Roldis Chapman, and Kenley Jansen. And they're all showing signs of wearing down now. Chapman the least so, but you know he's had trouble staying on the mound at times during this uh, latest stint with the Yankees. Like None of them are as bankable as they used to be. And so we're kind of, I think maybe some people are just assuming that the guys who've overtaken them are going to be as reliable. And that's dangerous because that's, it, it really is an unprecedented stretch of we've seen for those three. Even, even if you look back at historic examples like Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman, they weren't always at the very top of the relief pitcher rankings in fantasy because in terms of like strikeouts and stuff, they didn't always measure up to other guys who would pop in and out like Brad Lidge and Billy Wagner. Um, Kimbrel, show Chapman, some respect and, to Billy Wagner. First Kim, of all, Kimbrel, Jansen, and Chapman were so far ahead of relievers in terms of dominance beyond just the save total that I think maybe it 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 kind of changed the whole complexion in a position, and now we're having a little bit of a reckoning there uh, as things go back to normal, mm. historically speaking. But do you have a hey? I want to get two of my top. 15 or hey there's this many reliable closers i'd like to get one of them plus a spark but i would say by the way if you are in a points league and you don't try to get a spark you're doing it wrong you should well, this you is should try. this is the best spark year ever yeah all right so we'll get into that but scott do you have a general like i want blank of my top blanks yeah i want one of my top uh I think it's, let me pull it up here. I want one of my top, uh, in terms of true closers, leaving the Sparps out of it, I want one of my top eight. And that usually means I end up with a lot of Taylor Rogers. Um, if I, 
if that doesn't work out, I'm totally fine grabbing like a Ken Giles who tends to go fifteenth uh, among relievers. Seems really late considering how good he was last year. Didn't get a ton of save chances because it was the Blue Jays, but I expect the Blue Jays to be better. I'm fine with somebody like Ken Giles as my number one. I'd prefer it be more like my number two, but you know, it's fine if he's my number one. And uh, beyond that, I just take the best of what's left that I think will give me saves. I am getting a lot of Mark Melanson, decent amount of Hector Neris, Giovanni Gallegos, because people aren't are skeptical that he's actually going to be the first choice for saves in St. Louis. I mean, if he is, there's a good chance he's a top five type closer. So I'm happy to draft him. Uh, Keone Kella, I'm getting a lot of him just because I feel like his role is pretty safe. And I was getting a lot of Scott Oberg until that role was thrown up in the air. Now, um, now I'm less bullish about that, but it's still a possibility. So you said get one of your top eight. That's what you said. And then, yeah, that seems like higher than I thought, but I think that's right. Yeah. Just if I'm taking out the Sparps, Taylor Rogers comes in eighth. One of them plus the guys you like, Giovanni Gallegos, Keone Kella. These underrated guys who were going pretty late. Okay. Um, yeah. Chris likes to get Edwin Diaz and Craig Kimbrell. Doesn't have to invest high in them. And um, I kind of talked And about- I would also say, you know, when we talk about starting pitcher, we often talk about, like, just ignoring wins. I think for closer, you should just... You're probably better off ignoring last year's save totals. Just identify the guys who are going to open the season as the closer and then rank them by who you think is best. I, I yep. really, I truly think that's the best way to go. Don't worry about who got how many saves last year. 100%. Uh, well, totally agree. I, don't even, I don't even really look at the save total. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that, it. okay, I did, I did the work here. I did the math, so let me just tell you. If you've got a guy, a closer on a really bad team, very unlikely he's going to get 30 saves. In the last two, or yeah, in the last two seasons, there have been 15 teams that have won less than 70 games. And mm-hmm. remember, we're in tank mode, so there are more of those teams now. Less than mm-hmm. 70 games, 15 teams last two years, only been three closers on those 15 teams that have gotten 30 saves. And we have had exactly 11 closers in each of the last three seasons get 30 saves. Which so, Yeah, that, that, that factor, but I, I'm not... I'm not how many saves I think a pitcher can get is factoring into my decision of where I rank them, but I'm not looking at last year's save okay. total and deciding they can only get this many saves I, based on that. I will also say bad teams have bad players, and that's Usually. probably true for relievers. Well, Keone Kella, I think, is a really interesting example because he's probably he's pretty good. You know, and Vasquez was having a really good year for the Pirates last year. They stink. They're probably not going to win seventy games, right? Uh, he's they won sixty nine last year and had twenty nine thirty one saves. Like that's bad, but that's yeah. I think that's really low. It's pretty low. Um, he could get thirty saves, but he'd have to have a great season to get it. And he also mm-hmm. might get traded, which is another thing you need to keep in mind with good closers on bad teams. But I think I think if you look at the rankings, it's it's going to be a lot of closers. The high ones are going to be closers on good teams. So you probably don't have to worry too much about that. But like, don't the Tigers are not going to have a lot of saves? Um, no. Okay. And so, the Orioles, like even if Michael Givens was for sure the closer there, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's not somebody you're like in it like in a head-to-head categories league when you need consistency from the save total that's that's a bad situation right, right exactly 
Um, all right, let's uh, let's see. Let's do some format specific stuff. Let's talk about Sparps in a points league. You only need to start two closers, two relievers, and there are, as Chris said, this is the best year for Sparps. You've got Carlos Martinez. You've got Carlos Carrasco. You've got Kenta Maeda. You have Julio Arias. Who else, Chris? And what should we do about these guys? So in my position preview for the relief p- relief pitcher pre- position uh, on CBSSports.com, I went through and did like a meet the spark section. I think it was seven total. And, you know, that, that's this is not by any means all of them, but it's Carlos Carrasco, Jesus Lazardo, Carlos Martinez, Kenta Maeda, Ryan Yarbrough, Julio Arias, and AJ Puck. And uh, I believe... Bob Melvin announced today that Jesus Lazardo and AJ Puck will not have an innings limit this year. Now that doesn't actually mean they'll throw 200 innings, but it mm-hmm. does mean that the team doesn't necessarily view them as guys they'll shut down. They're both relief pitcher eligible. They're Jesus Lazardo and AJ Puck both have tremendous potential. Jesus Lazardo is probably the trendiest sleeper slash breakout pick at starting pitcher right now, and. This is, you know, in, in fantasy football, we talk a lot about the the Konami code for for start for quarterbacks, guys who can run. It, it's like a cheat code for them. Sparps are Sparps are like a cheat code for head to head points leagues, especially this year. Scott, I have Carlos Carrasco number one okay. among relievers in a points league. I have Jesus Luzardo number five, Julio Urias number six. Ahead so of Maeda. Kenta Maeda have twelfth. Okay, so Carlos wh- Martinez thirteenth. When would you draft Carlos Carrasco? Because he's going similarly to like Edwin Diaz in roto leagues, but in a points league where he's got the RP eligibility, where would you draft him? I don't think he ranks higher among my starting pitchers. I think it's more an instance where in a points league, all the starting pitchers are going ahead of the relievers. Um, so in my top three hundred. Yeah, because in a points league also, there's even less need to go after the high-end closers. Um, Every team only starts two relievers, so there's usually options on the waiver wire. Mm -hmm. It's just not, I just, that's the format where I'm least likely to invest in a uh, name brand closer. I have Carlos Carrasco 81st overall in that format. Okay, Tell me how you feel about this. If you knew what you were going to get from Carlos, if you knew you were going to get like true Carlos Carrasco, 320-ish ERA, I don't know what stats off the top of my head, 320-ish ERA, 200 innings, whatever, I think he's a third-round pick with RP eligibility. That's if, not if far off from where he was going before last year. As a as starter. just a starting pitcher. Right. Yeah. So that's the only point I'm trying to make is that's the impact he would be if if Carlos Carrasco is old Carlos Carrasco. He's probably I would bet a lot that he's going to be the number one reliever or number two or number that he's going to be so high up there. And he could he could have fifty more points than the next best reliever. He could crush the competition. Kenta Maeda was like the number six reliever in points leagues last year, number seven, and he only threw one hundred and fifty three and two thirds innings, and he had a four ERA. So these mm-hmm. guys are really big advantages, and I will make it a point if I have to reach especially in a shallower format like a 12-team points league, a lot of depth and hitting, I will reach. I got no problem with it. Even if Scott White tells me, oh, you reached. <laughs> I'll say, you shut up, Scott. Reach when I want. Uh, I, will, I will add a few names that Chris didn't mention. Adrian Hauser, who mm-hmm. I'm just, I consider a sleeper in a general sense. 
Dustin May, if he gets a chance to start for the Dodgers. Ross Stripling, if he gets a chance to mm-hmm. start for the Dodgers. The or thing someone to keep else. The thing to keep in mind about Sparps is because we kind of went through a stretch where like just any starting pitcher at relief pitcher eligibility, we would um, we would go after in this format. They have to actually be good pitchers for it to be an advantage over a closer. But if they are, and I feel like all these pitchers either are or have the potential to be, then, yeah, they could they could be an, a nice cheat code for you, like Chris said. Mm-hmm. And the more Sparps there are the more true closers will be on waivers. So that gives you less urgency on draft day to take true closers. Because I don't like I don't even know if a guy like Hector Neris is going to get drafted in a 12-team points league with two closers, you know? So also makes it much easier to stream in your head-to-head points leagues. Because, uh, right. you know, Ryan Yarbrough or, or Julio Arias, there's a chance that at some point this season they may just not be owned. But if they've got a two-start week coming up, Mm-hmm. That makes them startable. I want to promote a few things real quick. We have the Facebook group. You can ask. I asked a question in our Facebook group about, about saves plus holds leagues, which we'll get to in a second. Um, so please join it, Fantasy Baseball Today. Other podcasts, if you want to listen to our other shows, we've got college basketball, college football, NFL, fantasy football, MMA, wrestling, slash boxing, uh, golf. we got a whole bunch of stuff. we got the David Sampson Show, which is great. CBSSports.com slash podcast or podcasts. Either one will get you there. CBSSports.com slash podcast. CBSSports.com slash newsletter. Is it newsletter or letters? So I believe it's newsletters. I, okay. CB, we'll check right now. Get our Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter, and all our newsletters, at CBSSports.com slash newsletters, plural. Um, all right, guys, let's finish up our strategy talk here. We talked about points. Standard Roto, season long, versus weekly head-to-head categories. Chris, what changes there? You can use non-closers a lot more in a non-Roto categories format. If you're playing head-to-head, those streaming elite middle relievers, Seth Lugo last year, Yusmera Petit, last year can fill in for you know a day uh, a day when you don't have any starting pitchers going and you know potentially throw two innings get four strikeouts and and really be a bonus so that's what i'd say it you can punt saves you can go it gives you a lot more flexibility you can go light on starting pitcher which i know is heath cummings favorite approach in a head-to-head categories league and uh it just it gives you a lot more flexibility with the pitching pool as a whole I think Scott and I realized in our 16-team head-to-head categories league, and I think Chris was talking about a daily format in a weekly yes. format, I think we kind of realized that um, relievers are sort of the way to go, right? I mean, we kind of turned our season around when we stopped caring as much about starting pitchers in that format, head-to-head categories, five-by-five. Five. We went mostly relievers, right? Uh, I don't, we did. Did we turn our season around? I think so. We didn't, we still didn't make the playoffs. I know, I know we, I know we got faked out a lot of times thinking, Oh, look at this reliever with great ratios. And then suddenly his ratios don't look so good because that's how it goes when you have so few innings pitched. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can get faked out a lot with that approach. Um, but given the state of the starting pitcher pool and how, steep the drop off appears to be uh, there there comes a point you know 
maybe be on the top 50 or so being drafted where it, it, it probably is best to take your chances with relievers as opposed to sticking a guy in there who may have a 450 ERA and 140 whip. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And that's in our season long Roto League. I think I changed things when I just said, I've got like four starters that are great that I'm just going to ride with. I'm not going to throw these fringy starting pitchers out who are going to hurt my ratios. Instead, I'm going to use high end relievers. I can find them on waivers. And I went from like eighth place to fourth place. I didn't win. But it's a strategy I'm going to try to employ for a full season and see what happens. And one thing about that is that that approach increases the value of those really good starting pitchers for your team. It's going to make it harder to compete in strikeouts and wins, but there are two rate stats in the pitching categories. And the fewer innings you have, the more impact that a Mm. Justin Verlander or a Garrett Cole can have on those rate stats because the denominator is smaller the numerator one of those two yeah that's a good point uh in terms of saves plus hold leagues that's not something that we do a lot of but i asked on twitter and i asked on our facebook group what do you do in those types of leagues and it seems like almost everybody said there's much less urgency to go ahead and grab the closers closer great closers are going to get more saves than great middle relievers are going to get holds you don't yep. find a ton of 30-hold guys, only a few every year. I think there was only one last year. Maybe There one. was three. Okay, there was like a few years ago. Ryan Presley, Craig Stammen, and Jake Diekman. Diekman wasn't really a good reliever, but the other two were. Um, yeah, no, no, when you're combining them into one category like that too, a lot of times the guy who is the holds leader then becomes the saves guy when mm, true. a transition does happen, as it happens so often in the ninth inning. So... Yeah, I, I'd probably, I, I, pres, I would presume setup men would be cheaper in that format, and I'd probably just load up on elite setup men. Just get really, really good relievers on really, really yeah. good teams. Two, yeah, not bad. Four of the there were five uh, pitchers who had at least thirty holds last year, from what I'm seeing. Oh, two of them were on the Astros. One was on the Yankees, and the number six guy in holds was also on the Yankees. It was Zach Britton and Adam Ottavino, and then Will Harris and Ryan Presley. Okay. Where are you looking? I didn't see that, because here's what I have. Last three seasons, 30 hold relievers, one, six, three. Regardless, not as many as closers, and um, but still, saves plus holds category just really makes it easy. Uh, it's I think it's kind of a cop-out. <laughs> it's like yeah. tight end plus wide receiver, but hey, to each The only thing that makes own. the relief pitcher position interesting is that there's this scarcity. Right. And it's kind of, it's kind of a... It feels like a random variable at times that you'd just rather not have to deal with, but it's it's a it's a variable that helps make the game more interesting. And it's it you take your you can develop an approach to it that works. Okay, here's some quick questions. Here we go. Uh, the earliest you'll take a relief pitcher is when ninety. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. I I came very close to taking Kirby Yates, who's the consensus number two and my number two in our most recent mock draft, the head-to-head categories league, actually, because he he fell. But I ended up not getting him. I might have Uh, drafted him before 90, actually, so I might be a big, fat liar. Yeah, it was you who took him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I I actually have them. uh, Where do I have them ranked? I have Hader 65th in a categories league, and I have Kirby Yates 78th. I'm sure those are my only two inside the top 90. And uh, I haven't 
like I said, I haven't seen fit to take either yet because somebody reaches for them earlier than that. Yeah, it was 83rd overall for Kirby Yates, but basically I'm I'm so let's say 80, which is basically I'm never going to get Josh Hader. How come though? Cuz I I think he's awesome. I think Hader in a points league is somewhat of a trap because if he pitches multiple innings too often, he did that I think 20 times last year. He's not going to get the save totals that you need. He's not going to have 45 saves or whatever. He had 37 in 44 chances last year. So Yeah, I mean, the strikeout impact, because the biggest thing is strikeouts. He's just an outlier among relievers in terms of strikeouts. He can give you like a Kyle Hendricks number of strikeouts. He can compare to some starting pitchers like that. Uh, but in a points league, since those are right. only half a point, it, it doesn't. It doesn't add enough value. That's why I was saying that's the format where you don't really pay up for closers. For me, the reason I don't end up getting him isn't isn't so much a risk thing. Is just I'm going heavy after starting pitchers early, and that means the part, the stage of the draft where he's getting drafted. I need to scoop up all those hitters that I think can perform like elite hitters, but didn't cost, didn't have an elite price tag. Okay, but in a in a categories league or a roto league, would you agree that Josh Hader? deserves to be drafted before 90th because he's going in round six. He's going like 67. Yeah, I, I mean, I rank him that way, so I must think that, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, favorite, favorite sleeper, RP? Craig Kimball. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the one from your sleepers column, and I was going to have to say Lego my Gallegos because it's well, Giovanni Gallegos for me. I had two relievers in my sleepers column, and none of them were Craig Kimball. So, again, <laughs> just a... Big fat liar right here. Yeah, I had Edwin Diaz as a bounce back candidate and Giovanni Gallegos as a traditional sleeper. And yeah, those two guys and Craig Kimbrell are my favorites. Okay. How do you feel about Archie Bradley? I mean, I feel like he has no competition. I feel like they're going to be good. He's kind of streaky. He has like brilliant half seasons and then terrible half seasons. But if he's the closer, especially in a points league, I really like Archie Bradley. He hasn't been that Good, yeah. not, not like closer level good the past couple years. So he may be fine. He may hold down the role all year, and 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 that would be the main thing that matters if he's accumulating saves all year. But if you're not, if I can't count on you for a sub three ERA, sub one, or at least sub one point one WHIP, uh, I think there's a good chance you have a bad stretch at some point that causes them to rethink your your role and. Uh, yeah, we may not yeah. see an obvious replacement now, but good relievers come out of nowhere all the time. Somebody like Kevin Ginkle for the Diamondbacks put up good numbers in a partial season last year. I mean, maybe he's legitimately good as minor league numbers yeah. are. Okay. <laughs> so I want to give some stats because Scott was talking about ERA and WHIP, just what you should be looking at. I looked at the top 12 relievers in Roto, more important than points for this conversation. Top 12 relievers in, in Roto, no starting pitchers eligible as RP in this, just the true relievers. Uh, 10 of the 12 had a 275 ERA or lower. 10 of the 12 had a 1.03 whip or lower. 11 of the 12 had 80 or more strikeouts. Eight of them had 90 or more strikeouts. Only four of them had 100 or more strikeouts. So I'd say if you're looking at a reliever that's got an ERA over three, you know, Low three is okay, but you start to get like in the 330. You could be at a big disadvantage if you're in like the 330 range maybe. Whip over 1-1 maybe could be kind of high. Um, and then if you're not getting 65 to... If you're not getting 70 strikeouts, that's probably 
going to be putting you at a disadvantage? Yeah, I mean, a strikeout per inning is bad for a closer. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you got to have 10.9 to really to really fit in there. All right, so our sleepers were Craig Kimbrell and Giovanni Gallegos. I would say Bradley in a points league because I think he can rack up saves, but I understand the concerns. Breakout, favorite breakout uh, relief pitcher. We're doing real closers or? Uh, you can do a Julio Arias. Yeah. All right, then other uh, give me a real closer as well. Nick <laughs> Ken Anderson? Giles. Ken Giles, okay. Okay. Nick Anderson, his his walk to strikeout yep. ratio with the Rays was like eye popping. Yeah, that's that's the one. Every number was eye popping, and there was it, it's going to be forgotten because Emilio Pagan got traded before the start before draft prep season really hit full gear. Um, but there was there was there was talk about whether he should go ahead of Emilio Pagan before Pagan was even traded because he was he seemed. As good as Pagan is, Nick Anderson seemed better. And particularly a team like the Rays that doesn't show much loyalty to whoever is uh, in the lead for saves. It just seemed inevitable that Nick Anderson would overtake him. And now that's already out the window. I am not confident Nick Anderson will get every save chance for them. I think there will be times they bring him in in the eighth or whatever the highest leverage situation is, but I'm pretty confident he will get the majority of the safe chances. And they were going very consistently with Emilio Pagan down the stretch. It was kind of unusual how, uh, how, how Kevin Cash was tied to him in the ninth inning. So maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's not really a long shot that Nick Anderson could be a true closer for the Rays. And if he is, he could be the number one closer in fantasy. He did have three really good starts with the Rays. Starts? You're, you're making an inning start there again? Yes, he pitched 21 innings. He pitched 43 oh, oh, innings oh, okay. with the Marlins, had a 392 ERA and a, two, and a 1.282 whip. So I just, yeah, but the I Rays, do want to point the Rays out, like, made changes to I, you know, him. Did like, they? What changes? I think he started throwing his fastball more and his breaking ball less. Like It, it, it was immediately after the trade. Yeah, they and, have, and they the, have a reputation of fixing pitchers like the Astros do. And the Marlins, and obviously, they paid a lot to get them. They paid a the the Marlins longtime top prospect for him. Got Ryan Stanick. I don't know if it was the same trade. I'm guessing it was. Who had a it three was. three forty ERA, one fifteen WHIP with the Rays, and then he had a five forty eight ERA and a one sixty nine WHIP with the Marlins. So uh, kind of funny what happened there. All right, so Nick Anderson, a possibility. I mean, if Hector Neris can can hold down the job with the Phillies, that could be. Really good. He's not a great whip pitcher. He's not a great pitcher like Anderson is. Taylor Rogers, though, has had two really good years in a row. And the Twins could be awesome. So Rogers could pile up some numbers, too. That could be a nice one. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, bust. Who's a bust at closer? Going Kenley. I think this is the year Kenley Jansen finally loses the job for the Dodgers. His skills have been trending the wrong way for a couple years now. Dave Roberts took a lot of heat for not bringing him in. Um, in a situation you'd normally bring in the closer during the postseason and what ultimately was the deciding game, I think, with the Nationals. And the guy he stuck with was Joe Kelly or somebody stupid like that, which didn't help the case. But but the point was, I just the way he wasn't turning to Kenley Jansen in the postseason suggested to me that he'd really lost confidence in him. And uh, I, if those skills continue to trend down for Kenley Jansen... 
there might be no keeping him in the role. He might just be too volatile. He blew eight saves last year. Uh, that 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 seems like it's not going to have a happy ending. I have no, I have like almost no interest in him. He would have to fall. He might have to be like fifteenth, sixteenth round. I start. All right, I'll just get Jansen because they're going to win a lot of games and he'll get a lot of saves. Uh, yeah. Chris, who's a bust for you? Liam Trinan. <laughs> Touche. Actually, that's not even fair to Blake Trinan, who had been a pretty good reliever before his breakout. Oh, Hendricks, is, Hendricks has better history than Trinan. No, sir. No? Liam he's Hendricks been, has been a, a good setup man for a long coming time. Coming into last season, he had a 472 career ERA. He had a 413, 422, sure? 376 the previous three years. I had him okay. with a 369 ERA and a 123 whip entering 2000. On oh, the four seasons. I, I get, okay, no, you have to get rid of his starting numbers. The four seasons before when Liam Hendrick was a reliever, he had a 369 ERA, 123 whip, 2.4 walks, 10, 10 strikeouts. And he got a lot more velocity. He started throwing 97, 98 miles mm-hmm. per hour last year. Oh, yeah. He started out his career with the Twins as a start. I don't even remember those Me days. Either. Liam Hendricks as a starter for the Twins. Yeah, that was rough. Uh, I, I guess, yeah, I was thinking to some of some particular standout season Hendricks had before last Which was year, though obviously back in not as standout as last year. Yeah. It was really just 2015. It was 2015. He had 292 ERA. The three years prior, he had a 401 ERA. Okay, so... Do you really think he's going to be a bust? I <laughs> I don't have any confidence in him one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I'm not going to pay top four closer. It looks like top five, five closer, yeah. true reliever for a guy who's had 85 innings at that level. Straight it's up, just, like we- he could 100. percent It would not shock me at all. He did start throwing harder, as you said. He could 100% be a top three reliever this year. And it wouldn't surprise me. I'm just, I'm not going to pay for the privilege to find out. That makes sense. And I, I think that's kind of what we learned with Blake Trinan last year. I mean, his, he looked like arguably the best reliever in baseball and then just went back to normal. So same team too. So how would you rank Liam Hendricks, Edwin Diaz, Craig Kimbrell? I... Um, I rank them. I actually do have Hendricks ahead of those other two. I, I have Hendricks, Diaz, and then Kimbrell. Chris, how about you? How would you rank them? Oh, I don't do rankings, Adam. Yeah, but you're, they're all there on the draft board. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> uh, I would go Hendricks, Diaz, Kimbrell, but there's not a chance I'll draft Hendricks at the cost. Okay, but I'm saying like, you got to take your first reliever, and they're all there. You're taking Liam Hendricks. Sure. Because I'm if telling you, so, the next three picks reason, are all going to be those three guys. You're not going to get them in your next round. If for some reason <laughs> someone decided they, they needed to put a gun to my head and say pick one of Liam Hendricks, Craig Kimbrell, or Edwin Diaz, I would probably pick Liam Hendricks, but I would not be happy about it. <laughs> well, we're a little rusty, so it's taken us longer than I thought to get into average draft position. Uh, here we go. Josh Hader's going in round six. Do you think there's a chance that they move him out of the closer's role? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I think in Roto, you're still talking about great ERA, elite whip, 130, 140 strikeouts. And even if he's removed from the closer's role, you've got a valuable player in middle relief. Whereas in a points league, if he's not 
starting and he's not closing, he's not going to he shouldn't be on rosters. So that's yeah, yeah. why Hater is the one closer who could lose the closer role and still matter across all formats, I would say. Not points leagues. I don't. I mean, two years ago when he wasn't the closer, he got so he many was wins. Still worth starting, yeah. I think that's fluky, but I think that was only true in like the first couple of months yeah, of the season I think when so. they were really racking up. Like he had, I think he had an, a month where he was almost at twenty innings. They were using him like crazy early that season. It doesn't matter. We'll see what happens. Kirby Yates <laughs> goes in round seven, and then a roll this Chapman round seven or eight. And Roberto Ozuna, round eight. Do you have uh, any qualms with that order of Yates, Chapman, Ozuna? No. I, I'm not going to invest in Chapman this year. I, I think Ozuna is the safest. I, I, could, I could definitely, in fact, I think he should be the number one closer in points leagues. Hmm. I could, I could understand that argument. He... He's just very safe, but he doesn't really compare to Hayter and Yates and most of the high-end closers in terms of strikeouts. No, but he did get it up to 10 per nine last year, and it's been three of his yeah. last four seasons. Ozuna's had 10 per nine. What he's great at is whip. Don't overlook yeah. that. I know you wouldn't, but for the listeners, don't overlook that. Ozuna could have like a sub-0.9 whip. He's great every year. He just doesn't walk everybody. Um, Liam Hendricks is fifth. Brad Hand is sixth. So how are we feeling about Brad Hand? Is basically, I think it was like, 2.8 good years in a row and then really struggle down the stretch. I'm concerned. He wasn't healthy in the second half last year and looked dominant in the first half. So hopefully he comes back healthy and gets back to being the same guy he was the previous two and a half years. Three and a half uh, is my fault. Three, and a, half three and a half years. Okay. Yep. Yeah, but I know I rank him higher than he is here. So I guess that would make me high on Brad Hand. I haven't drafted any Brad Hand yet. It's it's really like him and Kenley Jansen and Aroldis Chapman, all of whom give me some serious doubts, but not the same doubts that I have in like an Edwin Diaz and Craig Kimbrell. So I, I have to rank them ahead. But the gap in confidence isn't enough for me to make the to pay up for them. All right, well, that's Brad Hand going in round 10 with Liam Hendricks. Then just a few picks later, Kenley Jansen. Ed, we're into round 11. Kenley Jansen, Edwin Diaz, Taylor Rogers, and Ken Giles. Is Taylor Rogers a better guy to get than... Like, how would you rank Jansen, Diaz, Rogers, Giles, I guess? Jansen, Rogers, Diaz, Giles, I guess. What's wrong with Ken Giles? Why not Ken Giles? Well, he was pretty scrubby before last year, although he showed signs of that he should be more than that. And I just, you know, it, the same reason you would be skeptical of any reliever who had one great year. I don't uh, think that's fair. Though, because Ken Giles' career he's is four like eight years. He is the poster child for just relievers being a total so crapshoot. He is so skilled, but his ERA is the last four seasons, last five seasons. 180, 4-11, 230-465, 1-8-7. Yeah, he's had four seasons with a 230 ERA or better. He's had three seasons with a sub-2 ERA. And when I go back to with Giles, 2018, he was awful, but he didn't give up one run in a save situation. 
Or no, no, no. He gave he had a point three five yeah. ERA. He he. Uh, I don't think he blew one save. He just was terrible. It was so strange. He was terrible in non-save situations. He was great in save situations. And last year, one eighty-seven ERA, one WHIP, eighty-three strikeouts in fifty-three innings. He did give up eleven homers, though. I just can't get over the image of him punching himself in the <laughs> face, walking off the field. He was so upset with his performance that he punched himself in the face, which is just abnormal human behavior. And I wonder. I, I can't help but wonder if if there's. If if it explains that hurdle, he had trouble clearing. If I don't know, maybe it's unfair, but it, I I get what you're saying. I, like I said, I end up I tend to end up with Giles a lot. If nothing else, I rank him where I rank him, just because I don't need to rank him any higher to get him. Sure. So that's round twelve, and the next closers are Craig Kimbrell, Hector Neris, Rysel Iglesias, and Brandon Workman. Hector Neris, Rysel Iglesias, Brandon Workman. Oh, sorry, I forgot Kimbrel. Kimbrel, Neris, Iglesias, and Workman. And at this point, you have one or two closers. You know, I, I have no sparks uh, included here. Probably one, but it's not a. I didn't like mess up if I have to. It's fourteen closers, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, right, you've got one of your top. I forgot what you said. Top eight. Yeah, I mean, usually I aim to get Rodgers, but if I don't and I get Giles instead, that's fine. Okay. And then the next group is Kimbrell, Neris, Iglesias, and Workman. Chris, your overall thoughts on, on this group? A lot of risk. Um, it, it's interesting because you only have really... Kimbrell and, and Iglesias are the two guys who are most established, and they carry significant question marks. Um, but I'm probably drafting my second closer right around now, and it's Craig Kimbrell, probably. Workman was so good. He had 180 ADRA for the Red Sox, but he walk, he's kind of like Matt Barnes, like high, high walks, a lot of strikeouts. Um, he had a 209 BABIP and one home run allowed in 71 and two-thirds, so probably a little lucky. <laughs> Uh, but you know, we, we would be very interested in the Red Sox closer if he can win that job. Uh, okay. Really strange case, really strange case statistically. Then we've got Alex Colome and I wonder why he's not getting a little bit more love. He's pretty consistent. I don't love that they brought over Steve Ciszek, but Colome Emilio Pagan, who is no longer in this discussion now that he's on the Padres. Yep. He's going to fall. Hansel Robles, Archie Bradley, Jose Leclerc, and Sean Doolittle. Kind of interesting. He lost his closer's job. He's losing velocity. He throws almost all fastballs, although started throwing secondary stuff a little bit more. But really bounced. Great September. Brilliant postseason for Doolittle. And he could be a steal. But, Scott, your he, take on Colome. Sorry, Chris. Colome, Robles, Bradley, Leclerc, Doolittle. That was actually me. Oh, sorry, Scott. <laughs> Check yourself, Adam. <laughs> Uh, I am probably going to end up with somebody from this group a lot just because they are in line for saves, but they don't inspire, they don't instill the same confidence in people. So they, they just tend to go later, but the save should be there. Uh, Column A usually isn't even a strikeout per inning. And which is not what you want to see from a closer, but he's been stable enough at the role that I don't expect him to lose it. 
And the White Sox should be a lot better. So I think he's a good value here. LeClerc, I mean, I loved LeClerc at this time a year ago. And then he just had some <laughs> he just had some issues. But in terms of being able to dominate opposing batters, and he still shows a lot of that potential and he could bounce back with a huge season. So I could I definitely wouldn't mind drafting him here. And then there are some names even beyond this group that I tend to draft a lot of too. So this is kind of where I live in the closer rankings in terms of getting my number two and number three option. Okay. Yeah. So Sean, how do we feel about Sean Doolittle overall positive or negative? Cause we know how great he can be. He's usually my third closer third. So that's three I'm usually out of drafting like him as my third closer, but he, when I've drafted him, I'm pretty sure it's been significantly later than you okay. know, 186 or 194. I feel like it's been squarely in the 200s. Okay. They used him more like a closer in the postseason, I feel like, than they did down the stretch of the regular season, which is the main reason why I rank him ahead of Daniel Hudson. And I don't think Daniel Hudson is particularly close in ADP. So, No, there's uh, another guy there, Scott, though, that sneaky, Will Harris. So good with the Astros year after year. Now he's on the Nationals. I'm not saying you draft him. I just want to throw that name mm. out there in case Doolittle might be losing it. You know, I mean, if for a guy who throws almost nothing but fastballs to be losing velocity, that's scary. Uh, Hudson has had one good year in his career, basically. Harris is really good. Just want to throw that name out there. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm wrong. I'm wrong looking at the postseason game log. They didn't use him strictly like a traditional closer. He had a lot of seventh, eighth inning appearances in the World Series, especially. So. Uh, I'm sorry, in the NLCS especially. So I take that back. Ian Kennedy, Keone Kella, Giovanni Gallegos, Nick Anderson, Joe Jimenez, Mark Melanson, Scott Oberg, who I guess should be going, I don't know, maybe should be going behind Wade Davis now. Davis is the closer. Yeah. I'd still draft him ahead of Davis, but he probably should fall some from here. Will Smith, who again is not the closer, Melanson is for now. And then it gets ugly. Then it gets the Tony Watson, Jordan Hicks, who's maybe coming back midseason. The Marlins guys, Diego Castillo, you know, it's, there's a possibility there, but you get speculation. But um, does anybody want to draft Ian Kennedy? No. <laughs> nobody wants to. No. Sometimes it makes sense to, but nobody wants to. Yeah, I don't think I've... Honestly, I don't think I've considered him in any of our drafts. Like I said, I usually have three closers in the, like the 100 to 220 range, and then I can kind of forget about it. If you do want to draft three closers, even four closers, because I play, I should have mentioned this earlier, I play in a standard Yahoo League, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. I think it's two starters, two relievers, mm -hmm. and three or four pitcher spots. Two, two, four. Yep, and it's daily. I insist on trying to have at least four closers on your team. And uh, this is a good area to pick off uh, some, some players here. And, and even if you can't get those closers, get some high-end relievers to help your ratios. Move them in your lineup, daily leagues, when you don't have enough starting pitchers. Um, you win a lot of categories that way. And you got some high ups. I mean, you got some really good upside pitchers here. Scott's talked about Gallegos. Obviously, Nick Anderson. Um, Scott likes Nick Melanson. Nick Anderson's going to go way up. And if... if the Dodgers ever announced Gallegos is the closer. He's Cardinals. obviously going to go way up too. Yeah, Cardinals. Yeah, um, yeah. I I went for three closers in the. We did a, a head to head categories Yahoo format draft yesterday, and I went with uh, 
three closers, Aroldis Chapman, Kirby Yates, and Mark Melanson, and then Dylan Batances, Zach Britton, and Yusmero Petit, three elite setup guys in that format. Right. Again, you don't have to draft your closer strategy, if that makes sense. I want, in that league, I always want at least four closers, but mm -hmm. I don't have to draft four closers. Just be aggressive on waivers, and plenty of them come along throughout the year. Okay, I think that's pretty much it. See if my voice can get any higher than that. I don't think so. <laughs> that's RP, baby. That's position preview number one. Catcher tomorrow. All right. All right. Guys, thanks. Good job. <laughs> you sounded like Morty from Rick and Morty uh, when, I, when your voice went high. I, uh... Ah, jeez, Rick! Oh, that's I good! Picture today. That's really good. Oh, oh, boy! That's really good. Yeah, I gotta I get... I drafted a roll to Chapman! <laughs> I gotta get... I gotta get more into that show. <laughs> so I've seen bits and pieces. Bits and pieces lately, and I really like it, but... My wife isn't as weird as I am, so I know she's not gonna like that show. But, Same. Yeah. Alright, guys, thanks for, uh, for doing this. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boy. Yeah, hey, it's our job. Catch a preview. Talk to you then. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV, the CBS Sports app, and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.